Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, I have Alex, newly tattooed Friedman, my best friend and badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. This week, we're going to be talking about in-camp versus out-of-camp training and talking about kind of our philosophies based around what a workload or a regular week would look like for an in-camp MMA athlete versus an out-of-camp MMA athlete. Yeah, so I think what we wanted to communicate and what we want to get across is is how to approach these two different segments of training with fighters specifically. And and we can also look at it through like an in-season versus out-of-season lens, even though the cycles are a lot shorter than that in reality. But finding those different emphases and creating a a program that is structured around them based upon the requirements of each phase, whether in camp, late camp, or or out of camp, finding that specific emphasis, I think, is going to be huge to create a plan and to actually progress and develop, whether we're developing a a certain fight technique or just developing an athlete in general. Um, So, Austin, I know you have some pretty, um, pretty passionate feelings about how to train in versus out of camp. Uh, why don't you lay those out for us? What can I say, dude? I'm a passionate man. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my, I am passionate about this. I have, I have strong feelings while I'm not kind of tied to them. I do believe that there, there is a better way to do some, some things for our MMA athletes. My actual thoughts on in-camp is that's when it's our jobs to make the fighter a better fighter. That's going to be a lot more emphasis on the skill work, obviously, because there's going to be game planning going on and maybe one day less a week of strength and conditioning and the outside or off the mat training. Um, And as you could guess, the opposite is what I would say for our out of camp. So I would rather my athlete become a better athlete, not a better fighter. So emphasis on giving new stimulus and, and making them more well-rounded as opposed to focusing on the on the mat actual skill training that we know we're going to do a lot of when we get into our camp sessions and we know who we're fighting. So I the one conversation I always have with my fellow coaches is talking about this is I, I want to focus on making a fighter better at their main skills in camp, right? That's where we go from good to great at a few amount of things that we know are going to make us excel out of camp. I want to make you Mario. Like you ever played Mario Kart and like every there's there's different levels, like somebody's higher at speed, the higher the heavyweight. I want to make you Mario, which means you're great at everything, but I don't need you excelling in any one thing when you're out of camp. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. And I think a, a different way to phrase that, and I think something that strength coaches are gonna um more align with and more understand it is talking about general emphasis versus specific emphasis or general training versus specific training. Um, in those out of camp phases, we have a lot of general training going on, whether we're training different athletic qualities or even general tactical technical work where we're learning a new system of how to, you know, grapple better, or we're learning a different skill related to striking, whether it's we're incorporating more kickboxing or something, something more, general within an athlete's fight game versus when we get into that in-camp preparation, it's a lot more specific. We're working on specific tactics against a specific opponent. Um, and we're doing, we're isolating specific strength qualities or athletic qualities in the weight room that we know we need to peak for the fighter, for the, the style of fight that we're planning for. Um, so I think general versus specific emphasis is work very well there. And, and as strength and conditioning coaches, we, we kind of measure in the general 
um, preparation scheme of things. So understanding where our role fits in or, or, or where an incorporated role fits in, whether we're being more emphasized out of camp or whether we're, you know, uh, not the main focus when we're in camp is, is huge um, to understand, but also to communicate and to have that game plan hanging at the, at the 10,000 foot level. Of, of fighters preparation and overall development. I don't know, dude, that was a lot. I kind of like my like Mario analogy a lot better. <laughs> yeah. We went from, from Mario Kart example to, to very technical jargon laden specific. No, no but I, I completely agree. And that's, we, we mentioned it a lot and I harp on it, but that's where that communication comes in and being able to have that open and honest communication and trying to talk with the head coach or talk with athletes, skill coaches and be able to say, this is what I think is going to benefit them. It's not just about being highly specialized. It's about be having a base and then specializing when we get specializing when we get closer to the fight. And that has to be an open communication or else this, this is never going to work. There's just going to be two people pulling on the, the edge of a rope. Something's going to snap. Yeah. There's going to be burnout. There's going to be injuries, you know, and like I, I get the whole training like a madman and, and I'm obsessed with getting better and I need to get to the top. Like I, I understand that logic. I think that's, that's there all the time, but it's kind of foolish without an actual plan or without actual development and an understanding of a, like a, a overarching goal. Right. Um, if you're just all gas, no brakes all the time and there's no coach, there's, there's no awareness within yourself to, to pull back a little bit as an athlete, then you're going to run into a lot of complications and, and you might not be better off for it, even though you worked harder, which, you know, society tells us working harder is going to give you better results. You might not actually get those better results. Uh, but I think there's exactly what you're saying, Austin, there, there's stress that comes on both ends. And I think there's a, a psychologic stress that goes on too. You know, when you're out of camp, it's a lot more fun, right? Learning more things is a lot more fun or learning new things and, and just generally acquiring skills that's a game, right? That's, that's a way less pressure. That's more, that's when training can get fun versus, you know, we don't have to be the super focused annihilator that we are, that we all kind of uh, emulate or try to be within camp. Yeah. That's, that's hysterical that you call it the annihilator. I have one of my, one of my guys <laughs> is Henry Corrales, uh, Bellator featherweight. And I had never seen him in a camp before. And he, like, if you meet Henry, he's the goofiest dude, has the best stories. He's always like the life of the party. He was in SNC with me when the, his manager, Jason, had texted him about the fight deal. He turned into a fucking samurai. <laughs> he, he literally, t he just laser focused. He went from smiling to 100% serious, just like kind of a little bit of a scowl. And just jumped on the air bike, said, let's go. Just night and day different. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was, it's, it's funny to see that, that type of switch in between and, and talking about that, like, or like sociological and, and fit or not physical, emotional, like stress that plays into another thing that's important in versus out of camp is going to be our recovery and focusing on, on being able to recover and what, what's really important as far as recovery out of camp is to make sure that we're maximizing our potential making sure that we're recovering in between sessions. We're not overreaching and overtraining when there's no, there's really no competition in sight, right? In camp, that's when it's so important. Like that's when I would say, and we use it a lot at fight ready is when some people get a fitness tracker and we're tracking, we're trying to work smarter, not harder and track their recovery, see what their readiness score is, see their ANS charge. Like if you're in the UFC and you're listening to this, Hey, you get a free Omega wave. Yay. Is it and or a ring now. Isn't it? Yeah, well, it's both. Oh, dang. Yeah. So that's, that's something, uh, my art, my head coach, you know, Roman, obviously mm -hmm. 
my head coach and Roman are like boys. Like they both are <laughs> nerds about reading research. Like Santino is the only MMA head coach I know that reads scientific literature and like knows how to actually read it because he has a master's degree. Nice. Uh, but so they talk back and forth. And so they found that the aura ring is the best for your sleep scores and being able to actually see how well you recovered in as far as sleeping goes. Yeah. But then the Omega wave is the gold standard for that with daily wake up readiness score of your HRV plus your ANS. So combining both of those, those two give you the highest, I get, uh, according to Roman, it's going to be your highest likelihood of success. If you're trying to track that readiness. Yeah. You just have more awareness and more of an accurate picture of your, your readiness for trading. Exactly what you said. So yeah. no, I mean, and Roman's one of the smartest people that I know. He, he's definitely the guy that's going to figure that out. And then, and then he's going to modify it to fit the best for UFC and, and MMA, and he's going to do his own thing that way. But uh, yeah, but no, that's great. Um, and also, I didn't I didn't finish that up. So if you're if you're listening and you're in the UFC, remember free Aura Ring and free Omega Wave. You just have to ask. So please get that and help your coaches out. Yes, yes, help yourself out. Honestly, help help your own training camp and help yourself feel better because. Yeah. As much as data isn't the whole story and data does lie to us every once in a while, we do need it to better orient our training and better understand your readiness um, right away. And then speaking on your point on overreaching and, and super compensation and uh, digging, you know, digging yourself into a hole, I think there, there's a happy balance of what we're talking about with being out of camp and it being less stressful and being fun. Just because it's less stressful and fun doesn't mean that we're not fucking working hard. We're not grinding, right? You can still... Go to the gym, have a great optimistic outlook, but still put in the work and, and train your ass off, right? That's still a reality of what you need to be doing because if you put in the work out of camp, you can be sore and you can um, physically feel tired because you're overreaching out of camp. That's going to save you in camp because in camp, it's almost too late to, to start this super compensation cycle, right? If we're 20 pounds over, out of shape, not ready to go, and then all of a sudden we get a fight and we're in camp right away, you know, eight camps is a relatively short time to immediately prepare for, you know, a professional level fight. Well, and that, that's something that I joke around with our guys. Like if you're not training when you're going into camp, then your first five weeks is just fat camp. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to run fat camp. That's, that's, that's not what I decided to do with my life. I'm here to make you the best athlete possible. And what other professional athletes don't train 48 out of 52 weeks. Year round. Like, it, that's that's where we need to get a little bit more professionalism and and we're so much better than it used to be but no. keep progressing forward because we are professional athletes if you know me you know i'm always on the run up early and home late so having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me what is in the cards is ag1 it's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals i need to perform I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. 
Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out. If you know me, you know I'm always on the run up early and home late, so having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash proven grit. Check it out. So I love what, you, yeah, I love exactly what you said. You know, it, it's a professionalism thing. It's not you're an at you're a high performing athlete for eight weeks when you get a fight, and then you're at the bars bullshitting and doing whatever for the rest of the year. You know, you're obligated to continually get better and whether monitoring your weight or whatever you're cutting is a completely different story, or it, it ties in somewhat. But be a professional and always show up to work, whether you have a contract on the table or not, you know, because, you know, those who stay ready don't have to get ready. Right. So I think and, that there, there's a paradigm shift there of just an attitude and a professionalism. And and like we talked about earlier, like those are the times where we actually functionally can overreach, too. So when we're out of camp, that's where we make the biggest gains in like we talked about earlier, our athleticism, which is going to be our power, our strength, all these different metrics that we can track, as well as I think Eric Cressy, did you see that tweet today he put out, which was fantastic? It, so I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to paraphrase. But it, he was talking about as we start to sport specify so much earlier in life, it's going to be the job of our SNC and our conditioning and conditioning like aspects to give us that multi-sport approach that we don't have. And as we get more people like the Aaron Picos of the world that just trained to be a mixed martial artist, we need to start adding in all these different variables to make us the best athlete and, and the most well-rounded out of camp as we possibly can. Yeah, man. I, I did see that. I remember what you're talking about now, but like, it's just such a backwards approach, right? It's like, you know, everybody's taking the, the Tiger Woods approach where, you know, you've been playing golf since you're two and then you put your 10,000 hours in and you're going to be a master level golfer and artist, mixed martial artist. When in reality, being a highly versatile and variable and prepared athlete by playing multiple sports and being exposed to multiple stimulus is solving multiple problem sets in an athletic fashion 
is what's going to actually give you the capacity or give you the, the vocabulary. And that's something we've talked about on this podcast to give you the athletic vocabulary to solve more problems in, in a more uh, athletic way or a more successful way. Um, so I think that that's kind of funny that that tweet is just such a context driven because now we specialize, right? And then we have certain providers that are stressing to get the the variety of experience when it could just already be there if we didn't spend so much time specializing and being, you know, um, so narrow minded in our preparation. I, again, I think the more sports that you can play, the more athletic problems that you can be exposed to, it's going to make you a better athlete in general. And there's a lot of time when you're growing up to capitalize on that. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I have yet to see a professional 12 year old. Athlete. Hey, you never know, bro. Some of those gymnasts, I mean, that was, that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's, that's the one exception. And I also want to throw out there when we're talking about these, these all these tr- different sports and these different stimuluses from strength conditioning, MMA is something that we haven't talked about. MMA is mixed martial arts. So we are getting some different stimuluses adding in. So th- I feel like our sport is one of the, one of the best examples of sport integration and these different skills in our, in our training, but that still doesn't mean there's no, there's no value in playing soccer playing spike ball, doing these different things that are not just going to, I guess, be as sport specific, but are going to allow us to develop more velocity towards a ball and stuff like that. And, and things that we don't necessarily realize will make us stronger or make us better in this tr- cross training format. Yeah. I mean, I guess, are you talking about youth developmentally or are you talking about professional athletes that are already there? Do you think they could derive benefit from learning, you know, or cross training, I guess, or, or learning a different sports skill set? I, I mean, I think that even as adults, we you can still get better. Obviously, you're going you're not going to be able to learn as much. I think there's a recent research paper that just came out about that, um, where I think like the cutoff for actual learning was around 26, and it starts slowing from there. But and this just might be BS. I remember reading a paper recently about it. Um, but like playing spike ball, like my hand eye dude mm-hmm. is so much better by just being able to move and not just better at the game, which I know a lot of like the cognitive training we talk about. Um, It's not just improving spike ball. It's improving me being able to do all of these different tasks. So, so, so I think you can. No. And I mean, I think that's, and that's one of the reasons I'm such a huge fan of med ball training in general, because, you know, having a med ball as an implement, you can learn so many different things, whether you're, you're punching through it with your upper body, whether you're using your hips for power, there's just so many different analogies for so many sports that come from power development with a med ball, whether it's swinging a baseball bat, throwing across, there's just, you can do a million different rotational power stimuluses with the med ball. And it reflects so much of what we do in actual sport. Um, so that as far as like a motor learning skill kind of bridges the gap between sport to sport and, and can isolate more of a power emphasis there too. So I think it's an important area to develop and to pay attention to. And obviously that's why we have an industry of strength and conditioning is because we need those general stimuluses to develop better athletes at a sport or, or develop better athletes in general to play their sport better. But, um, but I think it can still be utilized a little better in the MMA community. Yeah, dude. And just, just to make this podcast a little more functional and I'm, I'm just trying to take an extremely general generalist approach to this. Okay. So as, as a strength coach out of camp, what are the three biggest things? If you had to think about the majority of mixed martial artists, 
what are the three biggest factors that you should do out of camp? Well, I think that's when we can crush strength work in, in general. You know, if you're not if you're not loading up the bar heavy for, you know, three to five reps when you're out of camp, you know, if you're not already at a strength threshold, which most MMA athletes honestly are not, you should be crushing strength, period. There's no reason not to. Strength is not going to gain you weight, you know, um, unless you want it to. You can orient your training to to that specific means, but – Crush strength is uh, is number one. Um, I think we expand range of motion or expand mobility um, to control those range of motions. So, and that can happen simultaneously with your strength work. You know, if you're strength training through a proper range of motion within a proper method, uh, that's corrective in nature, and that's expanding your your movement vocabulary just in that. So, expanding mobility, expanding um, different control over range of motions, it would be number two. And then building an aerobic base or staying in shape or attacking weaknesses would be my second one. And that's kind of a catch-all in that third one, where it's a general conditioning emphasis. You know, if we know an athlete has this certain weakness that they keep, you know, falling off halfway through the second round, or they're not, they're not aerobically fit because they've taken two months off since their last fight or something like that. That's a huge bucket that we can fill and we can add stress into when we're out of camp that are the longer return on investments because it's going to take a while to develop an aerobic base strength training and getting stronger takes a while. So we can utilize those things out of camp rather than trying to jam pack it all in eight weeks. Once we get to the eight week training camp, it's pretty much, we're going to, we're going to peak what you got. We can't give you a whole lot of new. So, um, so we can develop those longer term return on investment uh, capabilities when we're out of camp. So, you probably know my follow-up. <laughs> what about in camp? So is, is there specifics that you, I know we, you were kind of saying what I was saying earlier, where we try to figure out what's going to make them best at their art, at their skills they already have. Yeah. But are any certain, I guess, characteristics you'd, you'd rather train in camp versus out of camp? Yeah, I think uh, similarly to what we were saying earlier, you, you train a lot more specifically. So I would look at the emphasis of, of our game plan. Well, I guess that's the, that's the first one. Figuring out your technical and tactical approach, right? What are you going to do against the opponent that you have? Are you going to stand and strike? Are you going to specialize in your grappling? Or what, what's your game plan? to win the fight, to have success. So that's number one, identifying that game plan, that technical, technical, and then figuring out what I can do as a strength conditioning coach or what you can do as a healthcare provider to enhance and to give that specific stress or that specific strength more, right? So if we know we're going to go into a heavy wrestling camp, then I can, you know, tax the lactate system or peak the lactate system, depending on where an athlete's at. Um, Looking at just those general uh, sorry, not general, specific guidelines to where we can add or subtract stress. Because at the end of the day, and I don't know if it's specifically within a strength coach's job requirements, but you should be a stress manager, right? You know, you should know if your athlete's overstressed, understressed, and you need to plan your training accordingly because most coaches are not doing. So as a strength and conditioning coach, I can tailor my program based around what what's actually happening with the athlete. Um, a third um, pillar, if I had to pick one, I guess that the, it, w- it would be developing um, weight class specific characteristics. Um, so if I, if I have a, a lower weight or a fly weight or um, bantam weight, I'm going to work on more pacing 
and uh, keeping a high level pace for the whole 15 minute fight or 25 minute fight, depending on what you're preparing for. Or if we have a, a middleweight or higher, we're developing power. We're developing that one hit KO power and it's specific to the athlete. You know, we're going to lean into that if that's already a power uh, strength and we're going to develop that more if it's a weakness. So um, again, everything specific, a tactical approach to the, uh, sorry, let's recap our in-camp um, top three priorities developing a tactical approach, um, training, you know, bio, uh, sorry, physiological qualities to that tactical approach, and then developing um, weight class specific attributes. So don't go to CrossFit four days a week. <laughs> well, you could, you always can. It's a free world, Austin you can do whatever you want. Okay. I'll, I'll just do that then. <laughs> no, that, that was actually something that somebody has asked me in the past. So I figured it would be oh, funny. No. Funny was, real uh, world. Yeah, funny uh, anecdote. Honestly, I started, I re-upped with a rugby team that I used to train and they uh, yeah, came yeah. to the facility this past week. And I, I was, we had, it was their first time meeting as a collective unit with COVID and everything going on and back to school and stuff. And uh, we were going around the room introducing ourselves and we were doing a strength conditioning session. So I just wanted to get a general feel. I was like, what's your strength and conditioning experience? What have you done lifting weights? What is your background? And, uh, you know, most kids go around and say, you know, I lifted weights in high school because we had to, or I did some extracurricular college lifting weights, or I had PE class and we lifted and stuff. And there was one or two guys that said, you know, I did CrossFit for two years. I did CrossFit. And nice. miraculously, those were the worst guys in the way. Yeah, I mean, at, yeah dude. <laughs> They're great, great at burpees, though. Great at, great at suffering, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And that, that brings up a perfect point that you just threw into my brain, Alex. I love it. Yep. That, that it's really important in camp to like out of camp. It's not as important, but in camp, it's really important to know the difference between tired and better. Mm -hmm. Right. In, in camp, like Alex said, like the strength coach or the health prayer practitioner or both uh, are going to be in charge of the workload. You guys know the most about the subject. You know the most about how the body's going to respond. So that needs to be something, again, bringing it back to communication that you have an open line of communication, but also that you should take charge of, because if you don't take charge, it's just going to keep doing, it's going to keep doing the same thing. Um, but bringing it back to my side of things with healthcare for, for all the healthcare listeners out there out of camp is going to be where we try to fix things. You are not going to fix anything in that six week in camp. You're going to be mitigating symptoms. You're going to be making sure they get to the fight as healthy as possible. But some, sometimes there's pitfalls, right? Sometimes somebody uh, tears part of the rotator cuff. These guys are crazy. Breaks their they're hand. still, they're still, yeah, breaks their hand. These guys are crazy. They're still going to fight. So you need to, you need to know that. You need to know that going, exactly. Well, it's the only way Alex did the money sign. It's, it's the only way that these, these guys are going to be able to feed their family. They're still going to fight. They're, this is their job. So you need to know that you're not going to fix anything. It's okay to do manual therapy. It's okay to make them feel better. It's okay to do these things that aren't going to give you the end goal right, right now as long as you tell them that and they're on board for fixing it on the, on the back burn. Uh, after the fight's over, all these different things. Yeah. Because a lot of the times, like we were talking about the evidence-based, how we've talked about it in the last few episodes, a lot of evidence-based doctors do less manual therapy and a lot more just a rehab because that's what the, that's what the literature says. That's what the literature supports for long-term change. 
But when you have an athlete that's fighting in three weeks and they just partially tore their LCL, guess what? I don't give a shit about long-term change. I give a shit about how can I get them better? How can I make them feel the best for these last three weeks and get us into being able to fix the problem later? Yeah. So it, you can't be afraid to just because just because the evidence says rehab is going to be the way to fix it. That that's not always going to be the solution. Sometimes you got to rub the boo boo to get the end result. Yeah. And you use your hands, use the needles. Yeah, have perspective and have a correct context of, of what you're going after. And that also goes into knowing your athlete too. You know, if you're going to have an athlete that's going to literally run through a wall to get to this fight, then you need to be there to you know be the the parachute or the safety net to catch them and then be able to propel them forward versus if you have an athlete that's maybe more touch and go or more in tune with what they're feeling, then you need to give them a different type of care. So it, it, it ties all into the context and to knowing your athlete and, and things like that. But I think you have a pretty good analogy to, to sum things up as far as what we're talking about. And so go back to some Austin's goofy analogies with Mario Kart and, and yes. things. So what I've always thought of, and this is kind of subconsciously for me when I was in my wrestling seasons and out of season um, things, I, th- I always think out of camp, we get to train like Superman, right? We get to be the huge the man, the working hard um, Superman and Clark Kent, right? Because when we're out of training, we can go do what we want. We can eat, we can feel good. We have that kind of license to let our mind go and be Clark Kent and not worry about it. Then when we get to the training facility, we turn into Superman and we're busting ass. We're feeling good. We're full of color and energy. And then when you get into your in camp, that's when you flip the switch and you turn into Batman. That's when you're on a mission. That's when you're always focused, whether you're Bruce Wayne or Batman, the mind is on and you're making progress. Every little step, your sleep becomes important. Your nutrition, when you're doing your hours out of the training facility becomes important. That's when you kind of gray out with your approach and you become a lot more focused and, and acting like you're on a mission 24 seven. So it's, in camp, Batman, out of camp, Superman. I am Batman. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> no, I can't. I don't know. I, I, yeah. True to the tattoo that you have, if you were any superhero, you are Iron Man. 100%. Billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. <laughs> Bad genius. Ass. You forgot genius. Oh, that was given, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I feel like that kind of sums up our in campers, out of camp strategies. Basically, be a generalist out of camp, do all the multi-sport stuff in camp, be as specific as you possibly can and focus on winning, and that, that's what matters. You got anything else on the topic? I feel like we hit the nail on the head. That's, that's what I got. I got one good analogy in the last 40 minutes. Superman and Batman, I was trying to liven things up. It's no Mario Kart, but you know what? It'll do. All right, one more thing. Superman or Batman, your choice. Uh... Batman's the closest to Iron Man, so that one. Yeah, I'm a Batman fan as well. I hate Superman. Superman can just do too much. He's, He's not boring. Fun. He's boring. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Batman all day. I am Batman. Where is she? <laughs> all right. On that note, if y'all have any questions on in camp versus out of camp, um, or just in specifically for your own training, feel free to shoot us a message at our emails or probably on Instagram at the handles in the show notes. Uh, that's probably going to get you your best response or your quickest response. Um, as well as if you guys any, have any topics that you'd like us to discuss, um, feel free to shoot them our way at either the DMS or emails or in a review. We'd love to hear it and love to see what can benefit you guys the best possibly we can. So Alex, we appreciate all you guys listeners. Keep interacting and keep letting us know what you want to hear. 
um, it's a lot of fun for us to keep doing this. So uh, any questions or anything, shoot it our way. Thank you again. Peace.